So glad everyone is here tonight for the final lesson on the third letter of John and the end to this class on all the letters of John. Um, as a very quick review, just remember what was happening at the time of these letters. Because again, um, we, we think John wrote these three letters in pretty quick succession of each other. Lots was going on at the church at this time. There were some doctrinal issues that John needed to take care of. And that was the reason for his first letter. And though it wasn't in letter form, it's more of a sermon. Man, it hits a lot of important theological things for the early church and for us. Um, the second and third letter were about practical issues happening in the church. Because of the way the gospel was spread at the time, the need for people to be hospitable. This is how the gospel was being spread. We, what happened wouldn't have happened if they did not have this method of hospitality. So the second letter and the third are dealing with the practical issues that were happening at the church in this time. So John kind of covers all three. Again, Go back, re-listen to some of these lessons, look through your notes again. There is so much in these letters. We can't possibly cover them um, in this short amount of time. So make sure you're constantly going back and reviewing because you will glean more every single time you go back and read. So tonight we're going to start with the full letter. I'm going to read it again. So that we get all the context of the letter. Remember, last time we were together, we covered verses 1 through 8. Tonight, we're going to cover from 9 to the end. But even as you hear these first eight verses, after kind of studying them out a little bit, certain things should start popping out to you. Certain connections should start being made in your mind when you hear this again. And then we'll really dig into the last nine verses this evening. So 3 John, I'm reading from the ESV. You can read from your own Bible or it's in your notes from last week. So 3 John, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, 
does not acknowledge our, our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, again, we cannot say thank you enough for this time where we get to gather together with like believers to study your word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit in us that helps us to understand your word. So, Father, I pray that tonight when we open your word, you open our eyes. May we see what you have for us in this letter. God, there is so much. There's so much application, Father God. May we see what we need to see and may, may we be changed by it. God, may your word do in us what it does. <laughs> Change us, mold us, make us into your image. May we grow more and more like you every day, Father. We lift up tonight, God, I lift up my own words. I ask for a guard over my mouth. Lord, may I say nothing unless it glorifies you. Because this class, Lord, all of our classes, it is about you and to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So in all three letters, remember, we saw this focus, focus, focus on the truth. We know in all of John's letters, he has this incredible focus on the truth. He uses that word more than any other biblical writer by far. Again, in the um, first letter, he's dealing with how do you know what's true? What is the truth? And then in second and third John, how do you live out truth? This is where we get very practical things for our lives. So in verse 9, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So here, we learn John had already written something to them. We don't have it, because Diotrephes, <laughs> obviously... 
Um, he did something with it. He blocked it. He intercepted it. Um, we don't know exactly what happened, but he did this because he does not acknowledge John's authority. And because of that, the letter was never presented to the church. This appears to be the issue that prompted the writing of Third John. We don't know what was in that first letter, but now we have this. I tried to write you something. You didn't get it. Okay, I'm writing again. Um, so who's Diotrephes? This is the second of the three men that John names in this letter. And again, as a review, last week we met Gaius. He is the one to whom the letter is written. And he is the man who shows hospitality. He's the example of hospitality. Tonight we're going to meet Diotrephes. He is the one whom the letter is sort of about. And he is the one who is refusing to show hospitality. And then later tonight we'll meet Demetrius. This is the person, it looks like, who's tasked with actually delivering this letter. And he is a man worthy of receiving hospitality. So all three of these men um, in their context. So Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. In Greek, that is actually one word. This entire phrase is one word. Philo proteuo. To aspire to preeminence, to desire to be seen as superior of all others, to be ambitious of distinction. Anybody know anybody like that? The world's full of them. Sometimes they're also in the church. And this is one, the one we're meeting tonight is actually in the church. Now, we're going to see later more charges against him, but this first phrase pretty well sums him up. And we're going to see all the other issues actually stem from this one. He wants to be first, and because of that, it causes other things. So, because he wants to be seen as superior, because he wants to be number one, the top dog, the man in charge, whatever you want to call it, he would see anyone else in a position of authority as a threat. This is how this works. People who are desirous of authority see people in authority as threats to themselves. So this is probably why this letter was blocked. He wants the power, the control, the influence, the accolades. So, of course, a person like John would be a great threat. Diotrephes would never want a letter from John to be read because John's words would carry more weight than his own. So, he does not acknowledge our authority. So, who's speaking here? John, of course. So he's talking about his authority. Because he uses the word our, it could be collectively the authority of the apostles in general, of which John was one. John had apostolic authority, 
given to him directly from Jesus himself. At this time, the end of the first century, nobody on the planet would have had more authority in the church than John. He was the only apostle still alive that had had the first person experience with Jesus. He walked with him, talked with him, learned directly from him, witnessed his miracles firsthand, had a front row seat to his power, and was an eyewitness to more events in Jesus' ministry than probably anyone else. So let's, let's look at this. What is... What, what does this even mean to be an apostle? Because I know on our first night together, we introduced John as one of the 12 disciples. Was he one of the 12 disciples? Yes, absolutely. Now we know he's one of the apostles. So what does that mean? What's a disciple? What's an apostle? Can you be both? Can't, are, are there any rules around these things? So let's look at this. A disciple This is the Greek word methetis, and it means a learner, a student, a pupil, a follower, one who is committed to learning from someone else. So in discipleship, we have a teacher and we have a student, someone who's teaching and someone who's learning. So John started as a disciple. He was a follower and a learner of Jesus. Um, Disciple is a general term. Jesus had many disciples, and from these, he chose 12. So this term, though it's often used biblically for those original 12, it can obviously be a term um, correctly applied to anyone who is a follower of Jesus. Now, an apostle is different. This is the Greek apostolos and it means a person sent by another a messenger so in apostleship we have a person sending and a person being sent apostle is an official term this word is used three times as much in acts than in the gospels because this is where we see the ones being sent out to proclaim the gospel not everyone can be an apostle you can't be a self-named self-proclaimed apostle because it it negates the definition of the word (laughs) an apostle means someone else is sending you out with a message and you are getting the authority Of the one who sent you. So think about the authority John had. Given his authority by Jesus. So let's look look at what the Bible says about this. So a few connections and you can dig more into this um, throughout the week. But first off, Luke 6, 13 through 18. And when day came, this is on the second page of your notes. And when day came, Jesus called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. So here we see the process. Jesus at this point had many disciples. He chose 12 to be very special 
learners that he was going to allow to be closer to them. And these he also named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, this is our John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Next, look at Matthew 10, 2 through 8. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, he names them all again, who is called Peter, Andrew, James, and the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, listen carefully, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, cast out demons. Who would have had the authority at this time to go around saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. But he is giving that very special authority to these 12 very special men. Later, we know... Of course, Judas betrays him. He is out of the picture. At the miraculous conversion and name change of um, Saul to Paul in Acts 9, he is also an apostle of Jesus from Jesus himself. So look at this in Acts 9. And where we're picking up here, remember, this is Jesus talking to Ananias in a vision. Because Paul's already had his, been knocked off the horse. He's blind. He's converted. Jesus comes to Ananias and says, I need you to go to Paul. This is where he is. You're going to pray for him. Um, He'll recover his sight. And Ananias is like, I don't want to go there. We know, who, we know who Saul is. We know what he's doing. And this is what the Lord says to him. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then this is confirmed also in Romans 1.15, where it says, Paul received grace and apostleship to preach the gospel to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. So we got to see John was numbered among a very small and very special group of men. And because of that, he had a lot of authority. And what is Diotrephes doing? 
not acknowledging it. Not acknowledging it. So knowing all of this, a person like Diotrephes would actually be scared of a person like Paul. A person hungry for authority doesn't like people who actually have it. People like Diotrephes don't gain respect and authority and position by doing the hard work of earning it through their character, life, and leadership. They get their authority or perceived authority by maligning the authority of others. They, through their words and actions, make others question and doubt true authority. Ladies, this is a big deal. This is a big deal what is happening here. And things like this still happen. So a lot is said against him. And it looks like John is going to deal with him personally and directly when he gets there. Because in verse 10, he says, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. John is ready and willing to confront and expose diatrophies. He's saying, enough is enough. (laughs) When I get there, I'm giving you this letter. I'm giving you what you need to do now. But when I come, it will be taken care of. Again, oh my gosh, we saw his pastor's heart last week and what brings him joy. And look at, look at what rises up in him. (laughs) Oh, I'm coming. I'm going to deal with this because this is hurting the church that I love. Uh, Imagine how much John has suffered for the church. So when he's coming to confront, because, oh, we get this mixed up and we get, There's so much confusion in things like this, in dealing with people like this. Why is he doing this? Is it to embarrass him? Is it to bring disunity in the church? Bring in a little drama? (laughs) No, it is to protect the church, to protect the sheep. That's what a shepherd does. That's why they have the tools they have to beat off enemies and to bring us back in when we, like silly sheep, go astray. This is what a shepherd does. So this is what he's saying he's going to do. This is what he's doing in these letters. So we know people like this hurt the work of the church and the people in the church. So something has to be done. So far, what we know about Diotrephes, he likes to put himself first. So we could say he's um, conceited, arrogant, focused on standing and position. He does not acknowledge John's authority. So we see he's subversive of authority, rebellious against authority. Next, we'll see several other charges laid out against him. He talks wicked nonsense about us. We can liken this to gossip or slander. He refuses to welcome the brothers, so he's unhospitable. 
and he stops those who wants to welcome them and puts them out of the church. So here we get a glimpse that he's domineering, power hungry, and abusive of the power that he has. So let's take these one by one. He is talking wicked nonsense against us. In the Greek, this is flareo. It means to utter nonsense, talk idly, to accuse one falsely with malicious words, bring forward idle accusations, and make empty charges. So we don't know exactly what Diotrephes was saying. It doesn't tell us what he said. But because we have this, let's put John's name in here and see what he was doing. Talking utter nonsense about John. Talking idly about him. Accusing him falsely with malicious words. Bringing forth idle accusations against John and making empty charges. Wow. Again, we got to get the weight of what is happening here. Probably things like this, again, start with things like gossip and slander. So gossip um, means a whispering, a secret slander. Listen to this. Man, this should make you want to stay away from this one. To murmur in someone's ear like a snake charmer. And think how people do that. Their tones, very soft. Oh, did you hear about this? Well, you know, I know people say this about John, but gosh, we need to be careful. You know, charming like a snake. Um, Slander means defamation or evil speaking. Ladies, if you are ever tempted... To think something like, it's only words. (laughs) Or, I really didn't do anything. I just said something. Read these connections here. And you will see very clearly how seriously God takes the sins of gossip and slander. Because they are destructive. As destructive as a wrecking ball in a church is gossip and slander. And we need to guard ourselves because I'm going to tell you this too, and I can say it because I'm one of us. These are, maybe not slander, gossip seems to be an easier sin for women than men. And maybe it's because we just in general like to talk more, but we need to guard ourselves very carefully from this. So he's talking wicked words and not content with that. Look what's happening here. Now, he's not content with mere talking. He's not just going to gossip and slander and say malicious things. Now, his words are going to be put into action and we're going to see two actions that he's doing. 
And this is very typical. Talk typically precedes action. Usually people talk about something before they actually do it. And we know from 2 Timothy 3.13, evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. A sin nature will always require more sin to be satisfied. If you're a sinner, you just can't stay in the same sin. You, you just can't. It will grow. You'll need more. You'll need different, whatever, for that sin nature to be satisfied. So here's the actions, two actions. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and then he stops those who want to welcome them and throws them out of the church. So let's look at these two. He refuses to welcome the brothers. So we see he's inhospitable or unhospitable either. They're both um, variations of that word. Inhospitable is a little less. That kind of means you're not likened to hospitality. You may not enjoy it, but unhospitable means you, you don't do it. So I probably there should have put unhospitable. So he refuses to admit or bring in the brethren. So who are the brothers that are being talked about? These are the true believers. These are the ones we heard about last week that are going out for the sake of the name. They're not going out and sacrificing for themselves. Oh my gosh, think about the life of these people. Wandering, I mean, even traveling in that day would be so very difficult. And they're just going from place to place to for nothing but the sake of the name. That's pretty amazing. Um, but he is rejecting them. And when he does that, remember, he is denying them of both physical needs that they might have, food, shelter, Money to send them on their way to the next spot, and also denying them the platform to speak the truth, because this is how the gospel was shared in the home gatherings. People couldn't be just, uh, there was no such thing as a street preacher back then because the church was being persecuted. So the truth was being shared in these gatherings and in homes, and people's, people needed a chance to come in and share the truth. So he was denying this, not allowing it to happen. And we know this whole purpose here in John's second and third letters was to help believers understand who to welcome with hospitality and who to deny. Who do we support? Who do we reject? You all, the consequences are, of both are huge. Remember what he told the elect lady? You let in the wrong person, you share in their evil deeds. That You let in the right person, you get to be a fellow worker in their good deeds. Oh, huge consequences on both sides here. Um, in another connection for you, and I actually just copied this from last week, 
these are the same verses on hospitality we had from last week because, again, I don't think we talk about hospitality enough. <laughs> I don't think we read about hospitality enough. So read through them again. Um, Romans, just let this sink, sink in. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then both Timothy and Titus, we see in here um, who is qualified to be a leader in the church. So pretty hefty list of qualifications here if you put them all together. Listen to these things. Um, Someone above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. God's steward must be above reproach, not arrogant or quick-tempered, not a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Wow. When I read that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord. That is quite a list there. Um, So read through that again. Think about just hospitality, what it means. How can we be practicing this in our lives today? So he's denying um, and refusing to welcome the brothers. And then he stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So this downward progression continues. And here he goes even further. Not only does he not show hospitality himself, anyone who wants to, he stops and kicks them out of the church. So does Diotrephes have some power in this particular congregation? Yeah, obviously he does. We don't know how he got there. Don't know what all happened for him to be able to do this, but this is what he is doing. So not only doing evil himself, but prohibiting others from doing good. And isn't that what an evil person would want? To disallow other people from doing the right thing. Do what now? He said if they got kicked out, it actually would be a blessing because then they could just go to the apostles and still worship. Well, only John was left. And um, I, I, I totally, yes, they could go somewhere else. Um, getting into a gathering... There, there was a lot of steps to get into a gathering. It wasn't easy. You had to prove yourself before you got invited into a congregation because of persecution. You, you had to show that you were walking the walk. You got, this is important. We could learn a lot from this today. You got discipled before you were asked to join. You knew what you were joining before you were able to come in. 
that they used to do a thing. This is where we get the fish, where, um, like, people, when, when they were out, they would, in, in talking to somebody and not knowing, is this a true believer, is this not a believer, they would, like, draw, like, the first half of the fish. And then if the other person would finish it up, that was kind of like, okay, this is, a, this is somebody I'm safe to speak with. Remember, we, we, we studied this in Revelation, 200 years of extreme persecution of the church that started very, very early. So, yes, if they were kicked out, um, they could go somewhere else, but it would not be an easy thing. It, it would be difficult. Um, so he stops others from um, showing hospitality and kicks them out of the church. Um, so do you see here why John needs to intervene? <laughs> well, he's saying, okay, this is what you do now, and I'm going to come. I'm going to come. Um, so let's look at this list again. Diotrephes is accused of pride, arrogance, subversion, rebellion, idle talk, gossip, slander, being unhospitable, being power hungry and abusive of the power that he has. We're going to be looking at this list again in a few minutes, but that's quite a list. If a person is one of these things, they can cause some issues. <laughs> he, he's the whole ball of wax here. Um, Verse 11 begins a new section in the letter with a very interesting way that he's going to introduce our third person, Demetrius. So verse 11, beloved, do not imitate evil, imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know our testimony is true. So this is the fourth and final time John uses this term in this letter in reference to Gaius. And you can almost hear the plea in his voice here. It's like, Gaius, listen, listen to me clearly. Do not imitate evil. Imitate good. So here, John is summing up diatrophies in one word. What is it? Evil. Do not imitate him. And soon we're going to see he, he really introduces and encapsulates Demetrius in one word. And what is it? Good. So he's saying, here's a model you do not follow. Here is a model worthy of following. So two foundational truths we're going to get from verse 11 here. Number one, there are people worth imitating, and there are people who are not. Number two, there is a difference between a person who sins and a person who 
practices sin. And these next few verses are going to bring this out. John is warning and admonishing Gaius and us to look up to, to follow, and to imitate the right people for the right reasons. And John would probably roll over today if he saw who people follow and who they want to imitate and what a trap it is today. Back then, they only had the actual people. (laughs) My gosh, you might only know 100 people. Today, we're competing with people and magazine covers and YouTubers and Five million images that come across our eyes every day being sold to us as this is who you need to be. This is who you need to look like. This is who you want to be. Oh, what a trap. What a trap. Um, There's a lot of questions here in this application. But again, I think it's because it's so very applicable for today. So... Some people are worth imitating. That word is mimiomai, which means to mimic. Others are not. Who does our world and society put up as heroes? Who does our media and entertainment industry put up as the end-all, be-all of the people we're supposed to desire to be like? Do you think these are the same individuals that God would put up? And then think in your own life, ladies. Who, who are your role models? Who do you look up to? Who do you want to imitate? Who, who do you see in your life that you look at and you're like, oh, I'm inspired. I want to do that better want to be able to do that like them do y'all have people in your life like that yeah we we all need those people we also need to be those people because people are looking at us young girls will always look at older women to see what they're doing our children look at us our grandchildren look at us um we need to be careful who we're looking at and what kind of model we are setting. I really like what you put there about um, the difference between a person that accidentally sins and someone that practices sin. Yep. Because even if we're models, there will be times where we will fail. Absolutely. That is. Absolutely. But we keep on striving, That's right. That's right. I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. Yes. That is exactly. And we're going to talk about that journey in just a second. But I'll tell you this, Vanessa. One of the main things we can model is how do we handle and what do we do when we mess up? Do we deny it? Do we ignore it? Do we act like in front of our kids we never do anything wrong? Do we ever apologize to our kids when we do do wrong? Oh, how we handle sin is a huge teacher 
to other people. Um, so, yes, we are going to hit that one. Hit that one next, I believe. Um, so, think through these applications throughout the week. He continues, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. This is going exactly into what Vanessa just said here. And we're going to be very careful because this is very tricky wording right here. It it really is. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Well, even an unrighteous person can do something good every now and then. Um, So when we think through that list that was leveled against Diotrephes, pride, arrogance, rebellion, gossip, being unhospitable, power hungry, subversive, um, abusive of power. And again, ladies, this one's more for us. I think if we change out abusive of power to manipulative with power, it might hit closer to home. I think men struggle with Misusing and abusing power. I think women typically struggle with manipulating with the power that they have. We have huge amounts of power and influence over the men in our lives. And we can manipulate very easily. Um, So look at that list here and ask yourself, do only unbelievers, the unredeemed, fall for these things do these things or are these sins that believers can fall into as well of course I could well I'm not even going to say righteous people can do an act of evil but they are not evil a saved person will sin but it doesn't mean they're unsaved. A person in the light can still do a deed of darkness, but darkness is no longer our nature. This this statement poses a very practical application of what John explained in his first letter when he contrasted a person who sins Versus a person who practices sin. There is a big difference. So as you look at your paper here. I know this chart. If you've been in a class with me before. It's going to look very familiar. Somehow we get this chart in every single class. Because it's that important. (laughs) We have got to understand. This incredible. Beautiful. And complete. Salvation. That we have. And this helps us see the difference between a person who sins and a person who practices sin. And again, for any of you um, who've been in here a long time, you'll probably notice there's a new word in here that's not been in this chart ever before. So let's just look quickly at it again. We know our salvation actually um, has three different parts And all three of these is what is this picture of our complete and total salvation. First is our justification. This is 
instantaneous. The second we bow our knee, ladies, the very moment where we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we confess our sin and we lay down ourselves and we claim him as Lord. Oh, we are justified. It is instantaneous. It is done. It never has to be done again. Our future is set. Our destiny is changed. That is amazing. That is our justification. And at that point, look at your chart. We become free and separated from the penalty of sin. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have consequences in this life for sin. But the ultimate penalty of sin, which is, of course, death and separation from God. We're separated from that. We are no longer, no longer under the penalty of our sin. We won't be judged for our sin. It's already been judged. We won't pay for our sin. It's already been paid for. We won't face the wrath of God. Because we are not under his wrath. We are justified and in right standing before him. That is our justification. Instantaneous. Never has to happen again. The second that happens, we begin this journey called sanctification. Oh, this is the walk. This is, I'm going to assume here that everyone is saved. If you're not well, we need to talk after class or you need to talk to one of these other ladies in class. Um, But assuming we are all saved, that means we are all in the walk of sanctification. This is where we work out our sanctification with fear and trembling. This is the journey of coming to know God, knowing his word. This is when we are obedient this is when we do the things he says which is read his word we pray we study we worship we serve we sacrifice we do all all these things this is working out our sanctification and we're not doing those works to get saved we've already been saved we've already been justified we do these works because we are saved and the bible says one of the things we're saved for is good works he's got good works for us to do once we're saved that's where we are now and we're gonna be here until we die or he takes us home Either one. And then we go into that future glorification. And at that point, oh my gosh, sin, uh, we're not even in the presence of sin. But look back at sanctification and look what's happening here. Where we are now, ladies, we are separating from the power of sin and the, here's the new word, the practice of sin. That's what our lives should be like. We could all probably share stories of things that used to catch us up 
that don't anymore. Why is that? Sanctification. (laughs) There, we could probably all name sins that we used to do all the time. They just kept on. We couldn't seem to get away from it. And now, maybe we do it every now and then but they're not as frequent. (laughs) This is what this is. We're still going to sin. We're not free. When we get saved, we're not free from sinning. We are going to sin. We're going to fall. We are going to do the act of a sin, but we do not practice it. We are not a slave to it anymore. It doesn't control us. We control it. We can control it, and we control it better the closer our walk of sanctification is. Does that make sense? So, what does it look like when it says a person practices sin in John? Because this is what um, he says in First John. Did I even read that? Did I read first? Okay, let's read it. First um, John 3, verses 4 and 6 through 10. And again, this will be a great one. Review from Shaney's lesson. Go back to your notes. Listen to it again. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. We still sin, but we do not practice it. And I'm going to throw this in again, just really quick. This is an extra. If you ever hear someone say they do not sin anymore, that's a telltale sign of a false teacher. We, I'll just leave it at that. Let your ears perk up when you listen to people. There are teachers today that say they do not sin anymore. And the Bible tells us, if you say you are without sin, you are calling God a liar. Um, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. But this is evident. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, now skipping down to the bottom of the notes there, what does practicing sin look like? And this can be test. This can ask yourself these things. Um, it's deliberate. That means it's done consciously and intentionally. Have you ever messed up and it's like, you didn't even mean to, and as soon as you did it, you're like, on it um practicing sin means you just do it intentionally do it purposefully consciously 
practicing sin um, is perpetual. It's never ending or changing. It occurs repeatedly and frequently. You can't get out of it. And finally, and here's probably the biggest, it is done without remorse. Without regret, without guilt, or without the desire to fix it or change it. Have you noticed in your walk with sanctification that, you know, maybe when you were younger, there were sins that you might qualify as a big sin that you used to feel bad when you did? Um, But as you walk out your sanctification, all of a sudden it can be the tiniest thing that you might not have even thought about years ago. You could have done it without even thinking about it. And now it's like, oh, oh my gosh. Again, you all, that's sanctification. We, we want to feel that because it tells us we're heading in the right direction. Sin should bother us. Even the smallest little sin because no sin is innocent. Sin is lawlessness against a holy God. Um, okay, so as we think through this and, and that chart, and I actually, um, we made that chart for you on cardstock this week. Did she already pass it out? Awesome. And there's notes there for each of um, the parts, justification, sanctification, glorification. So you can look through that this week. But one connection Um, to think about this week as well is that evil in a church is dealt with very differently than a brother or a sister who sins. We handle those things very differently. How we're supposed to deal with evil and how we're supposed to deal with a brother or sister who falls. So, Read through Matthew 18, 15 through 17 for the four-step process of just church discipline and how you reconcile someone who sins. There is a godly way to do this, to bring people back. Diotrephes isn't one of these people. He's not a believer who fell into some pride. John calls him evil. He's not a believer. He's an imposter in the church. He's one of the false teachers that we've been warned about by Peter and Paul and Jude. Um, So these two things are handled very differently. So another application. Practicing correct things can help keep us from sinning. So do a word study for the word practice. And when I mean a word study, it means you get out of concordance. Or you do it online, online concordance, type in practice, and it will bring up every time the word practice is used in Scripture. Practice in the ESV is 53 times. I did one this week. And let me tell you, the Bible is full of admonishments of what we should practice and what we shouldn't practice. Practicing the right things can be part of our walk of sanctification. 
knowing the things we need to avoid practicing can help us as well. So we're finally going to meet Demetrius here. And we're going to see he stands in stark contrast to Diotrephes in almost every way. So verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony. And you know our testimony is true. So this word to receive a good testimony or this phrase I should say is one word in the Greek. Martyr reo. That should look familiar to you. It's where we get our word martyr because it comes from witness. Again, in the early church, pretty much, if you went out to witness, you got martyred. That's why there's the connection between these two words. So this word here in the Greek, he's saying, um, Demetrius received a good testimony. Um, People bore witness to him about his goodness. Not only that, this phrase is in the perfect passive tense, meaning this good testimony is ongoing and continual. We know very little about this man, but what we do know is pretty amazing. So we are given a threefold testimony, actually, of his goodness. Listen to this. He received a good testimony from everyone? What? What kind of life would you have to live for everyone to speak well of you? That's quite amazing. Secondly, given testimony from truth itself. That means when Demetrius's life when his words, his actions, his habits, his decisions, his attitude is put up against truth itself, which is the word, it means he shows up well. Wow. And then our testimony. The Apostle John is personally vouching for Demetrius. And remember... This was the critical element in how hospitality worked. You came in to a new gathering or a new congregation, and usually how you got entrance is you had a sign, a symbol, a letter, something from another more well-known, established believer saying, okay, this person's okay, let him in. And Demetrius has that from John. That should be like an all-inclusive pass into everywhere. That's how important that would have been. And John is saying, he's receiving my good testimony. So what was happening here is Demetrius himself is one of these traveling teachers. He's probably the one, like I said, that's going to deliver this letter to Gaius. And he is given the testimony of John himself to be a man worth receiving, a man worthy of hospitality. Gaius is being instructed when Demetrius arrives, 
let him in. Bring him in, show him hospitality. Verse 13, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. This is almost word for word what we saw at the end of John's second letter to the elect lady. And in this, this closing helps us to see the urgency of these messages. John wants to say more. He's got more he wants to talk about. But he chooses to write a short letter, get it out quickly, with enough in it for the intended audience to take necessary action. But in both cases, he follows it with, but I'm coming, I'm hoping to come. This is what you need to do now, but I'm hoping to follow it up personally. So to the elect lady in letter number two, he was saying, I have more I want to tell you. We'll talk more when I get there. But for now... Be careful. Do not receive everyone. Be discerning. Because when you take in the wrong person, you share in their evil deeds. And then to Gaius, he's saying, I have more I want to tell you. We'll talk more when I get there. But for right now, do the right thing. I've heard that you already are. Keep on doing it. There may be leaders in the church not doing the right thing. There may be people in the church keeping other people from doing the right thing. Do the right thing anyway. Individuals who go out for the sake of the name need to be shown genuine hospitality. And when you do this, Gaius, you become a fellow worker in their good works. So verse 15, peace be to you, the friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. So peace be to you, Um, though very similar to his greeting, though this would have been a common way to close a letter in these days, I I do think there's more here. Um, Dealing with hard situations, confronting wrong things that have seeped into the church, Taking a stand for what is right, doing the right thing, can sometimes feel anything but peaceful. Absolutely. Um, So he's saying, remember, peace, peace on you. Your peace doesn't come from circumstances. Your peace comes from your standing with God. You have peace regardless of what happens. Do you think it's possible that Gaius was going to have to face a diatrophies when he let in Demetrius? Quite possibly. So he's saying, peace. Don't worry about it. Peace. Peace of God on you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. He closes his letter confirming the importance of friendship. This might actually be the last written words of John. Because many people think he wrote these letters after Revelation. If so, this is the last thing he said. And it's about friendship. I find that fascinating. First off, okay, you might have to face some hard things. 
Isn't it easier to face hard things when you know you got some friends behind you, supporting you, helping you? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we know John lived a long time, 90 plus years. That's a long time to foster relationships. We know he outlived many of his friends. He would have witnessed the martyrdom of his closest friends. And yet here he is confirming the importance of friendship. Each friendship. Because he says each by name. These aren't nameless, faceless individuals. These aren't people's Facebook friends. Which of course aren't friends. These are people he actually knows. He, he's come to know. He's invested in. He's um, spent time with. He knows their name. It's been said, and this is by T- Dale Carnegie, if you've ever read his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He says, the most important word to every single person in the world, in their own language, is their own name. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, we love to hear our own name. <laughs> um, what happens when somebody greets you by your name? <sighs> when it's not just hello, hello, Donna, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> it does something, it shows that you're special, you're worthy of being remembered. Names are important. And he's saying, the friends are greeting you, Gaius. They're behind you. They're supporting you in what you have to do. The the friends that you're there with, you greet them by name. Um, Think think about that. Um, Friendship is so important. Friendship is a gift. I know so often as women in different seasons of our life, um, especially young marrieds or being married and then you have kids and you have grandkids and it feels like everything goes into your families. And absolutely, ladies, that is our first and foremost priority. Absolutely. But friends are also a gift. And we have to foster friendship. We have to be there for people. Um, We need people there for us. So think about that even in this last application. Assess your friendships. Do you have true friends? A true friend means a person who tells you the truth, not the one that tells you things you want to hear. Do you have a person in your life like that? Man, I do. Sometimes I'm almost scared to talk to her because I know she's going to tell me something. Um, But that's what we all need. That's what we need. A true friend. Are you a true friend? Do you do you have people that you can speak into their lives like that? We can't do that with everybody. We just can't. Can't go up to some, everybody. Oh, I know this. You know, but with a true friend, we can. Um, that's what we need. Um, what do you do to foster meaningful friendships in your own life? Um, and if you don't like... The answers to any of these questions, what can you do about it? Not, not too late. We need friendship. I, I think, it, again, it just hit me as so fascinating that this is how he ends this letter. What an apropos ending 
to a letter on hospitality. Last thing, Gaius, make people feel special. How, how incredible. Um, so, we have about 15 minutes. Um, we're going to get together in group time. We have 15 minutes, right? Okay. Um, get together in groups. I know we didn't even get to do group time last time, so you have all those applications if you want to go through them, if you want to go through these applications that are here. Or you might just get together and talk. If you all each share, like, aha moments of the John letters, it could be this one or any of them, that you might not even need any of the applications tonight. But just talk together, get to know each other. When you get in your groups, greet each other by name. And if you don't know the name of somebody in your group, learn it tonight. Just make it a priority to learn it and know it tonight. And then uh, before we wrap up, pray for each other, and then I'll, I'll close this out at the end.